Last week in this, we are applying our minds and hearts to the study of the book of Ruth, and today we continue with that story. You will remember where we were last week with this, such a brokenness in Naomi's life. She and her husband Elimelech were suffering, as everyone was in Israel, but their family evidently in particular uh, with the famine that had moved into that region. It was not unusual. Famines came all too regularly into that area. Uh, But in this situation, they saw that there was no way in which they could continue to function uh, or to feed themselves without making arrangements that were other than what they might have originally chosen. Uh, They looked in the distance and saw that it looked like the hill country of Moab was in better shape than Israel. And so they made that trek there. It wasn't that far away, just the other side of the Salt Sea. But when they traced their way around the edge of the Salt Sea and went to that region, they would have traveled for probably a week in order to get there. And there they found some solace in the midst of uh, what they uh, saw as as a land that was much more blessed than at least where they were. In fact, they made it their home. Uh, For the time being, they've made it their home. Then the unthinkable happened. Elimelech died. Naomi was there thinking that her family would be sustained, her husband and her sons and herself. But then Elimelech died and that changed everything for her. As she peered into the future, surely she had much fear as to what she would encounter there. It was her responsibility at that point to care for those boys and to grow them up to adulthood, at which time then they would care for her. They stayed in place. They had no other choice, really, as far as she was concerned. And they made Moab their home. But then the unthinkable happened again. And we don't know how that was. By disease, or was it by accident, but both of her sons died as well. And she was destitute. She was not only grieving and sorrowful, but she saw the graveness of her situation for she was a widow without anyone in the world to care for her. She had shared her heart with the family. It was her nature. She was one of God's own. And so Orpah and Naomi and Ruth had fallen in love with Naomi. They both cared for her. In fact, they both stated to her, if she chose to go back home, which she had chosen to go back home thinking, what better can I do than to go back, that they would accompany her there. It was only after much discussion and encouragement that Orpah made the decision at Naomi's urging to stay in Moab. Being with your family, isn't there at least a chance that you will be able to find another husband and to build another life here in this place? It made sense to her, and so she stayed. But Ruth, it was like glue that bonded her to Naomi. And she followed her not only to the border of Moab, but across the border and back into Israel. It was last week that we read that very precious passage where Ruth said, do not press me to leave you 
or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do this, and so to me, and more as well. What a wonderful devotion Ruth had to Naomi. And Naomi accepted that devotion because she had nothing more than that in the world. The two of them went back to Israel without a thing to their name. And they were welcomed in by the community, those that knew Naomi there in Bethlehem. But what were they to do? They didn't know what they were gonna do. In fact, the community didn't know what to do with them. And there they were, just barely eking out an existence. And Ruth, it came to her that perhaps at least she could go out into the fields and glean. You know what gleaning is, don't you? It's after the harvest. The poor, those that are in the community, those that are widowed, those that are foreigners, those that have nothing, are allowed to come in and to take for themselves what's left over. In fact, if you read in the scripture, there are specific instructions for leaving the edges of the field, the very edges of the field, and only swiping with the workers through the field one time in order that you would leave for those that are in dire circumstances. Of course, you know how this works because most farmers are not likely to leave anything in the field that's worth anything, right? And so instructions are given to all the hired hands and clean up the field. This is money in my pocket, this is money in your pocket. Clean up the field when you go through it. Ruth went out to a field and interestingly enough, the owner of the field, a man whose name was Boaz, was a distant relative of Naomi's. I don't think at this point that Naomi had even considered this fact. But Boaz had certainly seen from a distance who Ruth was and began to inquire about her. And her story literally inspired him. She was there among the hired workers. She was trying to find little bits of grain, of barley. She was gathering what she could from out in that field. And Boaz came with the instructions to his hired hands. Whatever she wants, let her have it. In fact, if she wants to pull some of the barley out of the sheaves that we have already bundled in the field, do not say anything to her. In fact, I am instructing you, you go ahead and pull some of the grain out of the sheaves and leave it so that she can pick it up. This was unheard of. I mean, the system of gleaning was a part of Israel. It was a part of their culture, almost like the welfare system. It was their way of caring for the poor. And when Ruth was there, she didn't know the system so well. All she knew was that she was going to be hungry that evening. And in fact, as she thought about her mother-in-law, whom she had agreed to follow into this desperate land, 
She knew that it was her responsibility to feed both of them. That's what she had given herself over to. Your people shall be my people. She was committed to this idea. Sue and I have driven down many a country roads over the past 30 years of this ministry. And you've perhaps seen it as well as we have, but when we go past a field that has been harvested, a field of cotton, we are amazed at how much cotton is left in the field. Do you see that? Good gracious. I took issue with a farmer one time. I said, when y'all come through with those, those cotton pickers, those big machines, you leave so much out there. And he laughed and he said to me, he said, you don't understand the situation, which I don't. I don't understand too much of a farming situation. He went on to say, he, he said, those are only tufts of those bowls. There is so little cotton there. If you were to take a grocery bag and go out across the field, it is doubtful as to whether you would be able to fill the bag with what's left there on those stalks. That was fascinating to me. But you know how farmers do. They wanna get as much as they can out of the field, right? The only thing that's important here is how much is it going to generate in terms of profit? And so most farmers are not thinking only about coming through the field and getting the cotton. They're thinking about, okay, what's the next step? What do we do with the stalks that are here? Some of those will bale the stalks in order to use that as livestock feed later. Others will plow it back into the ground in order that nitrogen might restore the soil. But they're always thinking about how can we utilize every square inch of what we've got available to us. Now, our thinking is no different than that. You may say to yourself, I'm not a farmer, but your thinking is just like this. You and I think about it, we pinch a penny, come on. We wanna hold on to what comes our way. We wanna make sure that what's ours is ours. That's why it gets under our skin for somebody to ask us to share what is ours. Our modern concepts of gleaming are meager in comparison to the need. There is an organization that has been formed by a number of Christians that is entitled Society of St. Andrew in which they go out into the fields where there are vegetables that are left there and they gather the vegetables after the harvest. And of course, with the permission of the farmer, they will go out there with a number of volunteers in any number of locations and the mechanics of this Society of St. Andrew will be to distribute these fresh vegetables that were not good enough either because of their appearance or because they're just, they were just left in the field or because there wasn't market for them in the stores. They will gather it in and then spread this as quickly as possible. Most of it is distributed within 48 hours. They will distribute it to food banks all over the country. A fascinating gleaning ministry. And you participate in some of this. There are ways in which people come to us and seek to glean at the edges. Some of you would not believe the number of people that come and ask for assistance in the church office. It's amazing how many people are in need here in our community. In fact, that's one of the reasons that we've set up the REACH Fund. And some of you contribute to it monthly. Some of you contribute to it weekly, I believe because somehow you undergird the response of the church to care for those that are in need. And I wanna commend you on seeing this and becoming a part of it. 
I know that there will always be people that are in need and the poor will always be gleaning, always be gleaning in some way in our culture. I had a friend in Warner Robins whose name is Calvin. Calvin became a part of the church while we were there. I met him at a soup kitchen and we struck up conversation and began to identify some way. I don't know how that happened. But Calvin became a part of the worshiping community there. And I can remember that Calvin and I were in conversation one day. This was in uh, the post-2008 situation of the housing bubble having burst. And in, you remember the, uh, the very tight nature or the very cautious nature of all of us in 2008, 2009, 2010, and some of you may be saying in 2018. <laughs> You know, but you can remember the feeling of that and how we were at this place where we were holding on, you know, to what we had, you know, just to, to get by. Um, I asked Calvin one day, I said, how you doing? He said, well, not so well. I said, are you sick? He said, no. He said, that's not it at all. I said, well, what's wrong with you? He said, y'all aren't throwing away as much stuff as you used to throw away. I remember <laughs> he would collect garbage on the side of the road. You put something out there beside your trash can, Calvin would go to it before the trash truck would get to it. And he was collecting. And he said, there's just not as much to glean from. How is it that this story affects you? This is a fascinating story of brokenness. But Naomi begins to hatch this plan and Ruth too as to how some of that might change. Boaz noticed Ruth there in the field. And as he took interest in her, his interest was in who she was. He admired her from a distance. Now, romantically so, I think. But he admired who she was, the dignity of her life. If you think about this, she had left her country. She was a widow but she had left her country in order to follow her mother-in-law back into her mother-in-law's land. She came as a stranger into this place with no other agenda than to take care of Naomi. And when Boaz looked at that, he couldn't believe how much integrity there was in it. He said to her in a conversation after he had opened up all of the field to her basically to get what she wanted. He said, as they were sitting eating lunch together, he said to her, Yahweh offer you reward for your deeds. Yahweh, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Remember that word wings, it's an important one. Ruth gets an astonishing glean from him and Naomi is unbelievably surprised when she comes back with all of this barley. This isn't normal, she thought. And immediately she kicked in to matchmaker mode. You should see it when Sue does this. So, <laughs> Sue kicks into matchmaker mode about every other week. And she, she will... She will say to me, she will say, she will say, did you notice those two college students? And I said, well, I don't think we ought to get involved in this, Sue. And she's already way ahead of me. She's thinking, she's thinking, how can this happen? It's, it's something that should happen, you know? Well, here Naomi was thinking the same thing. And she was thinking to herself, 
in a good way because this was, was going to be a blessing, not only for Ruth, actually it was gonna turn out to be a great blessing for Naomi too. And so she sends Ruth out. She says, go to him when he's at the threshing floor. There where they're separating the, the grain and making sure there's no chaff in the midst of it. Go to him late in the evening. Gussie yourself up, put a little perfume on. Go to Boaz near midnight. And when you get there, uncover his feet. Now I'm not gonna go into the euphemism of that. You can, you can look all that up on your own this afternoon. Get you out a Bible commentary and look it up. Ruth and Boaz, they're together at night. And you know what? Boaz said to Ruth, in his mind, I think he said, I do. Because it was that bold Ruth who proposed marriage to him, not Boaz proposing to Ruth. Ruth said to Boaz when he realized that she was there, he said to her, she said to him, I am Ruth. He said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth. Spread your cloak over your servant. In Hebrew, you remember I told you to remember that word wings? That word wings in Hebrew is the exact same word as the word in this sentence that is translated cloak. Listen to it this way. I am Ruth. Spread your wings over your servant. Isn't that powerful? She wanted Boaz's protection, not only for herself, but for her mother-in-law as well. And then the story takes on this great blessedness as Boaz devises a plan. And as Boaz begins to set up the situation so that he can claim Ruth as his wife. When finally all of this comes to bear, it's a fascinating thing because all the community is excited about this marriage. And all of the women I bet they've already chosen a name for the baby before Boaz knows what's going on. And they come to Boaz and they come to Ruth and they celebrate the birth of Obed. Why is this story in the Bible? This story is there because it's important to the people that call themselves Hebrew, Israelis. But it is also critically important to we who claim it as a part of the canon. You and I should be moved to know that this Moabite woman, this widow, this stranger from a foreign land was the very great grandmother of the great King David. Who but God could set something like that in motion? We who live in a land that seeks to care for those but only to a point, should remember that the very essence of who we are as God's people 
is contained within the pages of this short story. Will we take it on? Will we see those who are gleaning in our midst? Will we just put up with them? Or will we care for them as Jesus would have? In fact, as Jesus did. I mean, can you remember that Jesus fed those who were hungry? The disciples came to Jesus and said, how can we do this? We don't have enough money to do this. He said, have them sit down. They said, all we've got is two fish, five loaves of barley. And yet, Jesus could not get it out of his mind that they were poor and they were hungry. Jesus walking through the street with the parade of folk that were all around him. A woman who had been ostracized from the community for low how many years, there sick, reached up to touch the hem of his garment, and Jesus stopped immediately. He turned around and said, who touched me? The disciples didn't have a clue. They weren't looking out for her. All they were doing was moving down the road in the parade. Jesus said, I felt my power go out from me. And he stopped, just as he did at many a pool to cure, cure those that were lame, just as he did when he stood before a blind man and saw the nature of not only how his physical ailment hurt him, but how it crushed his spirit as well. Just as he looked and saw the inner demons and wished to cast all of that, that evil out of the world, this was the heart of God that was being shared, a concern for those that were in need. Oh, if I reflect on this story much, I think to myself, if only, if only we could be more like Boaz. If only we could be more like Boaz. In fact, the matter is, I'm thinking to myself now, if only, if only, we could be more like Jesus. Jesus. If only. <laughs>